Hey there. Uh, another episode of The Sweet Spot. And, uh, you know, this week, um, we're going to go a little bit out of the box. I don't want to scare anybody. Uh, <laughs> Paul sent me a text message a couple weeks ago, or a week ago. Um, and I don't know, Paul, do you think you could do a reasonable job of, of relaying that text message? It was yours. I don't want to have to try to remember it, and I won't do it well. Let's see if I can. So we have recently um, have had several conversations with individual clients uh, separately and together. And I've made some interesting observations, or at least I felt they were interesting, uh, on how we both present. In fact, I've seen us do back-to-back -back presentations where we're both kind of in the back, right? We're, we're the audience, we're listening, um, and some of them were participating, but let's say that we've had some good exclusive time on content. Some of that content has been sort of strategy focused. Some of that content is based on how do you operate IT. Some of that content's based on, you know, portfolio to which we sell, but it's all reasonably technical, but the audience tends to be um, executive. And I think here's my observation. We have a very distinct, different uh, approach to presentations, a very distinct difference in how we have conversations with clients. Um, and I think that's best described by talking about two different comedians. All right. So I'll start with me and I'll end it with you. So my approach in presentations um, tends to be, I don't want to say rehearsed, uh, but I do want to say practiced, right? So I have a perspective, a theory, a philosophy on technology or just general opinion on a particular trend or technology or operational method or just how people think. I've probably written that down in a blog. I've probably created four blogs on the topic. I may have built a presentation, a full deck on that. I may have presented bits and pieces and different presentations just to sort of test the audience to say, does this, does this perspective or point of view make sense? And then eventually I'll create a whole talk track on it. I'll say, here's a you know, 10 to 15 slide deck, and I'll be able to record that and repeat that relatively close. We're probably 80 to 90% sameness every time I present, even though I might have different audience, uh, different audience uh, lenses, right? If I have a, a hospital audience, then I'll have a healthcare lens. If I have a manufacturing audience, then I'll have a manufacturing lens. Uh, but for the most part, it, you know, it's, it's pretty close to being the same. And I have a general understanding on when the audience is going to nod and when they're going to laugh and when they're going to appreciate, you know, it's truthiness. Um, and it tends to do well. Um, and what I like about it mostly is that, A, I could easily repeat it at a dime's notice. It doesn't require any planning. Um, and that it's, there is an ability for other people to learn and understand and present it, even if it's not the same level of enthusiasm, at least it's the same words. So that's me. So I call that the, I call that the, I call that the Jerry Seinfeld approach, right? This is what he does. He writes out his content. He tests them, you know, from, from stage to stage, from little club to little club. He hones an entire act and then goes and presents that act multiple times to much bigger venues, tens of thousands of people, and it is pitch perfect, word perfect every time. If you were to go back to back to a Jerry Seinfeld uh, comedy, you will hear the exact same jokes and they will still get the exact same laugh. However, that is not how you present. <laughs> you, you present distinctly different, okay? 
this is how I would measure it. So uh, you read the room um, immediately. So you'll walk into a room, you'll get an appreciation for who the audience is, and you will create, I'm going to call it an agenda in your head. You're going to prepare an agenda, say, here are the three or four things I want to be able to say based on the people that are in the room. Every room will be different, and therefore every agenda will be different. And if every agenda is different, then every story is different. You then create a story. I don't know if you really do this in real time or not, but I can, I can feel the story come out as you're going. Uh, you will have a couple slides behind you, but the slides aren't important. Um, in fact, you've, you've presented very effectively without slides altogether, uh, but then you will jump in. You will start in with topic A. You will provide a deep sense of knowledge on that topic. You'll go uh, into this cave, into that cave, and you'll deep dive into this hole. You may never come out of that hole, but eventually <laughs> you'll, you'll exhaust that particular topic. You'll move on to another topic, and you'll do that exact same thing until kind of the time is permitted. It is a, uh, you get the same amount of nods, you get far more educational value out of it. Um, uh, you know, you, I've seen standing ovations for you, um, and they feel that this has been a deep, enriching experience every time you're in the room. The downfall of that approach, of course, is that it's not rehearsable, and it's not repeatable. And it would shock me, because I've never witnessed it, you'd be able to say the same story in the different rooms back to back or ever. In fact, every time I see you, it's a new experience. However, yeah. I've learned something new. I like, like this is the Robin Williams approach, right? This is, you're gonna get a different show every time you see it. You see five in a row in the same day. They're completely different five shows. You will get five hours worth of interesting content instead of the same content five times. That, that's how I see it. I don't, what, do you, what do you think? Do you observe the same? I, that's 100% true. Um, and the weird part is, like, I'm a, I'm a theater actor by trade. Like, mm. um, if, if, if I was to pick one thing that, I've, that I'm most, like, actively educated in, it would be theater. And in theater, you don't, you don't really improv. Mm, no. And yet, professionally, I continually improv. Um, so where's, where, like, how did, you, how did you make the change? Like, there's clearly a purposeful change there. Um, so... So, so no, it, it wasn't actually purposeful. It was an exercise my dad would do. My dad was uh, a theater major in college uh, who became a lawyer and a computer programmer and kind of got me down the, the, my career path. Uh, we started a company when I was 11 and I had to present to the school board. The school was one of my big customers and my biggest by far at that, at that time. Um, I was presenting to my school board when I was in high school on the largest IT projects that they would have at the time. These were not, this was not a big school, was not a big school district, was not, you know, it was relatively early in tech. Um, and the only way that I could carry that was because they would just, you know, you're, you're 15 at the time, 16 maybe, um, you'd get eaten alive if you didn't absolutely unequivocally know the material. And so I wasn't allowed to have a rehearsed, I wasn't allowed to have a rehearsed pitch. I mm. was just told to talk. And let your knowledge carry the conversation. And so from about 15, 16, that's how I started presenting to, to this kind of audience. And it never really changed, um, but, but I got better at it. Like, um, I, 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 I really focus on 
um, figuring out who's attentive in the room, like who is my most engaged audience and who's my least engaged audience? What mm -hmm. are the things that resonate with my most engaged audience members? And then do they also resonate with my least engaged? Is there anything that I'm saying that can perk the interest of my least engaged? Right, the middle's the middle and you're never gonna, like when you fight, you never fight for the middle, you fight for the edges. So, right. so um, you know, how do I keep my engaged audience engaged and how do I really focus on trying to bring the, the not engaged into the conversation? It's why it's never the same twice. Because the audience is never the same. Do you do you have like an agenda in your head? Like you've got thirty minutes of talking. Do you have an outcome you're trying to get to? Right? Do you want to be able to say these five things? Do you want to? Are you trying to get into these, you know, six caves? Are are you trying to address two issues? Like what does that is that cross your mind or are you just going? Yeah, with the it's one of two things, right? It's either um, I go in with a uh, it's a soft agenda. It's now I never have a hard agenda. Um, but I go in with like, I think these are the five things I'd like to talk about. These are the three things that I think are important, but all of them are story-based, right. right? So it's, I think this story would go well. Like I've, the audience at two o'clock versus the audience at four o'clock, the audience at two o'clock loved this story. They seem to be a little on the fence about this story. So I'll swap it out with another one. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah, I always go in with more topics than I get to. Yeah. Like I always go in thinking I'm going to hit more topics and I don't hit more topics. I would say it's one of the bigger differences between how we present. I tend to have one story and I have this big macro story and I'll go through the nuances of that story. I'll, I'll walk through it page by page because I know what, how I want to get to the end. Whereas you're going in with 20 stories that you're going to pick, you know, in real time, depending on sort of where you want or how you see the audience reacting to your initial stories. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, where, where you don't have the bigger story. Like it, it's very rare that you're coming in with, here's my uh, eight chapters. I'm going to go through chapter by chapter. You, you know, you're, you're, you're choosing your own adventure. Oh yeah. I have ADD way too bad to do one story. <laughs> like, there's no way. I can't write a novel. Like, like I'm a short story kind of guy. Um, and, and the weird thing is I don't like to read short stories even a little bit. <laughs> right. But I would be much better at telling short stories. Right. Um, right. You know, as, as well you know, and I've brought it up before, my, the biggest hobby activity that I do is Dungeons and & Dragons. And, and it's funny because um, Daryl Kent, who is a, another uh, coworker and friend of ours, uh, Daryl Kent is the other DM in our group. We have right. two games going at any given time. Daryl runs all of his stuff based off printed modules. Somebody mm -hmm. else printed it. He links them together, but, but you know, his stuff is a pre-made map, a pre-made thing. Like it's right. all fairly well-defined for him. Mine is done week to week on a series of post-its just like this. And the post-its are written in real time. Right. <laughs> right. So what happened last week, I'll go over that at the beginning of every session. Like I make notes afterwards and then I go, okay, right. cool. This is where you are. What do you want to do? And based on what they want to do, I generate characters, I generate storylines, I generate directions, and they may turn into bigger things. Like I don't, I don't necessarily end it at the end of every week, but I don't go in with a preconceived notion. And that's kind of how I present, right? Um, here's a scenario. I'd like to get through these three or four things, but if the audience is engaged and the audience starts asking me questions, I can't guarantee that that's where they're going to want to go. Um, and, and my goal isn't to, um, get through my presentation. It's not to necessarily educate. It's to have them ask questions. Hmm. And yeah, I, do... I actually find you're more successful with the distractions where I'm far less successful with distractions. Right, I'm far more successful in a lecture series. Right, I can talk for thirty minutes. I can go for an hour, 
of a straight story and go through the process and have people understand and write down what I want to do. But if I get a question or two or three in between that makes me veer off, it's really difficult to get back on that track. Whereas you're, you, you've decided to get off the track and you may never come back again. And that's fine. You're, right. you're comfortable never coming back to the route. <laughs> and and it's, it's often harder for me to come back. Right. Um, like I'm happy to, I, I tell people all the time, I'm happy to go down whatever rabbit hole you wish to, to go down yourself. Um, some customers it works really well with, some rooms it works, works really well with. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I've developed a personality, right? So um, even if you're not totally enjoying the rabbit hole, uh, I tend to try to be entertaining. Like I'm happy okay. to insert jokes. I'm happy to, you know, um, the challenge is, for me, really, um, and this happened in when we were in Dallas. Um, if the stadium, if, if the customers ask no questions, if the audience has no questions, they have no comments, they don't want to double click on anything. Right. I can also run out of steam 10 minutes early. Right. Especially if I'm concerned about like, if you give me an hour, and I'm the only speaker, no problem, never run out of steam. But if you right. give me 30 minutes, and you want me to end at 22 to give time for questions, I'm probably gonna end at 20 or 24, right? And if, if, if for some reason there's no questions, uh, well, you want me to, like, I can't launch a new, I can't launch a new story now for <laughs> right. 22 minutes, you know? That's right, you're, you're missing the cue. Right, right, right. And, and uh, so, so, and then there's no way anybody, like, I get asked all the time, can you give me your deck? Sh sure, sure. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what you're going to do with it. It's <laughs> won't actually help you. Cause I only got to page. I only got to slide three. Well, so, or uh, you did a really good talk and I'd really like to have your speaker notes. There, there aren't, there aren't any speaker notes. Like I didn't, I can't do this twice. <laughs> right. I can't even repeat what I said two sentences ago. I don't even know what it was. Like, so do, I hope you're recording this. Describe it. Describe the rumor situation that works best for you. And then describe a room, the rumor situation that works worse for you. Um, so, so the room that works the best for me is one that I can warm up. Uh, I actually, I, I very much treat it like a, like a one man show or a comedy set. Um, the rooms that absolutely work the best are when I get the opportunity to warm up the room. I get mm. to come out, I get to kind of MC myself. Right. Um, because especially if it's when people are filtering in hands down the best, because I'll, I'll, I'll talk to people. Like right. I'll, I'll start to establish a rapport and I'll ask them like, why are you here? Where are you from? What do you do? Like those sort right. of things because I can, I can then pepper them. It, it's honestly, you, you talking about it like a comedy show really kind of nails that experience because that's kind mm -hmm. of how I approach it. And then it is, it's, it's absolutely, it's little pieces of stuff, right? Um, I'm gonna tell a completely different story in Dallas than I would in New York. Right. The audience is different, right? Their socioeconomic climate is different. The business that they're in is different. Um, I, don't, I don't look at it as healthcare versus finance, Although that's, that's, that is definitely a piece of it, right? But even to the point where um, jokes, you know, kind of the, the, the humor that I add goes over better, goes over different in New York than it does in Dallas. They have a different sense of humor, the politics of it and everything. Um, right. And so, yeah, I'll definitely, that makes a huge difference to me. And if I, if I get the ability to warm up the room and they're not warming, that <laughs> can be discouraging, we'll say. So um, then what's, the worst, what's the worst situation then? The worst um, position to be in. I'm the fifth speaker in a room of 2000 and the speaker before me was really dry. I see. Uh, maybe. <laughs> like 
there's pluses. I've had that go really well where there, where, where you get a sense of relief from the audience. But uh, let's say I'm the fifth speaker of the day. I'm the, the speaker right before lunch was dry and they've come back from lunch. That would be the worst room, right? I don't have a, the opportunity to warm them up. It's a huge room. They're already discouraged by the prior speaker. They just had a break and now have to kind of, kind of put back on the armor of listening to someone that's boring. Um, and then I have to, so I have to kind of work harder to get them kind of quieted after lunch. And then I have to work harder to kind of engage them. Right. And because it's not it, like, there's no routine for me. It's, it's, it's like, I'm putting myself out there. Um, I can't, I can't use the comfort of a script to, to kind of push through. And I am the opposite to your exact answer to that. So, so I, I hate warming up. I find that incredibly difficult to do. Um, in fact, I almost insist that somebody else introduces me so that they have a means to calm the crowd, to get attention, to uh, get people sitting, to get an appreciation for who I am and the position I might have. Um, that's way more important to me. <laughs> I'm 100% the opposite. I don't like it when people introduce me. Like I much prefer somebody just goes, hey, uh, your next speaker is Howard and I come out. Right. I will do my own intro. I will deliver, all, like I'll do all of that. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I see. But I can handle a dry audience. So let's say they just came in from wherever situation they are and somebody has calmed them, their, their start, and they still might be yawning. It might be the end of the day. That, that's all okay because I do my best to project a level of enthusiasm to get their attention, right? I, I speak a slightly faster than usual and much louder than usual and I use my hands a lot and I, I really walk the room, right? I'm very rarely standing in front. I can't stand at a podium. And I'm walking the room, especially if it's only 20, 30 people, it's easy to walk the room, much more difficult with 5,000 people, as you can imagine. But I, I certainly walk the stage, right? I, there's, I push as much energy out from me as much as possible in order to create the energy in the room. So I find the dry room fun, right? In fact, the raucous room is probably more difficult for me because they're not, there's, they're not attentive enough for the things that I'm trying to say, for the, to get any nuance in the conversation that I have. Um, I, I think I, you do that. Yeah. It's actually, it's brilliant to watch because I've, se I've seen you do that. I've seen you get up on stage in a room and I'm like, oh, they have no, like they're not attentive at all. And you go. And what's amazing about it is it's almost like, um, it's like a train, right? The train is at the station. You can hear it go, ch -ch -ch -ch, right? And then it's, you know, you get two horn blasts and you go. And I'm like, oh yeah, they're just, they're not gonna, nothing's gonna happen. And before long, they're running and leaping on the train. Mm-hmm. Right. I have never, ever, ever watched you present where at the end of it, I'm like, oh yeah, he lost half the audience. <laughs> That's right. He started without half the audience and pulled half the audience in. And the routine is so good. It's so polished. It's so like, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely envious of the, of the, of your ability to just do that. Like for me, it's, it's all, I have to, I pull as much from the audience as I push to the audience. And for you, right, you're like, right. look, if you're not smart enough to keep up, I don't know what to tell you. I'm, we're going. <laughs> That's right. We're rock. Like, I got 30 minutes and I'm talking right. for literally 30 minutes. Right. And this is good stuff. So if you're not paying attention, that's going to be your loss at the end of it. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know right. what to tell you. The only engagement I really add to my presentations is acknowledgement, right? So I will constantly say, does this make sense to you? I'm looking for you to physically nod to me. 
everything, what I just said, does this resonate? In fact, I use does this resonate all the way just to make sure that they're at least at the right chapter, but I can't lose them. Right? I have to be at the right chapter because if I keep going ahead, then they're going to lose the story completely. Whereas with you, the stories are nice and small and, and controllable. And if you move to another story, it may or may not actually tie to the previous story. So it doesn't really matter. You're making a different point. Uh, therefore, they can catch up if they had to. If anybody walked into the room for you halfway through, they would still get value. Versus I fear if they're walking in halfway through me, they're missing too much to appreciate the end. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that that's, that that's, that that's wholly accurate. I do think they'll have a better time halfway through my style. Yeah. Because to your point, right, all of my stuff is broke down. And, right. and while there's still a, there's still a larger journey there, it's not like yours is, is absolutely 100% a one journey, beginning, middle and end. Right. Mine is one journey that, that you don't know it's been a journey until hopefully the very end. Right. right? But, but if you just come in for, for the first story, that's good. You can leave and you'll still get the first story's value because that story will end. Right. It's, it's interesting. Now, now, now let's make this interesting for our audience. And I, and I, and the reason that tell I, me it hasn't been interesting for the first 20 no, minutes. No, I think it's been interesting, but I don't, but, but it has to be valuable too. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the value of this is right. You and I have very similar jobs. We very do very similarly the same thing. And I will say yep. when we, we've got up and, and had different time slots, same topic. Right. That has happened. Right. Paul's doing, doing a one one at two. Howard's doing one one at four. Right. Like he's got that set or that day, right? And we'll be at the same thing. And right. what's interesting about it is um, while we don't say the same words, like our stories aren't the same, our methods aren't the same, by the end of it, you get the same value out of it, mm-hmm. right? When it's all said and done, we go about it the same way. We arrive, yeah. we start at the same train station, we end at the same train station, right? Same same start, same destination. Right. Um, and it's neat because we often talk about how if you if you need one of us for a webinar, if you need one of us for a for a roundtable, if you need one of us for a customer event, we're somewhat replaceable. You're going to get the same story. You're going to get the same knowledge. You're going to get the same information. Um, and yet we do it completely differently. And I think the important part for our viewer is right. there isn't just one path. There isn't just one journey. And if you're really, really, really good at the Jerry Seinfeld, if you're really good at developing a patois, at developing all of this work around a thing, really knowing it, really understanding it, really having the patois down and delivering it, that is exceptionally useful. It's a fantastic way to go about it. It accomplishes the job. You can have a whole career on doing it. Yep. If, however, you've got ADD, you're like Robin Williams, you know, and you don't like a script, you can absolutely do that. And it works so well that two people that do those things so incredibly opposite can in fact address the same audience, can in fact hold the same audience, and in fact deliver the same message. And I think that's a really valuable, really important kind of piece of conversation, right? There's not simply one journey. I think too many of these things, um, it's 80% the same journey. And, and in this case, it's 100% not the same journey. It's just the same destination. So, so I agree with you. That's a hundred percent true. Uh, but I think external factors make that as true as anything else. So it's not just because we have different styles, but how, however, deliver the same message. Um, I think we have the same types of 
of personal experience, the same types of work experience. And Absolutely. in fact, we, we share, you know, 80, 90% of the same perspective, point of view, uh, interesting, um, interesting uh, pitch, which might be unique than a corporate pitch. Like we're relatively close in just the, the spin, let alone the actual words that we use. Oh, that, that, might, that, that might not be true with everybody. Right? No, no, and I'm not saying that you could take any two people with two different styles, give right. them the same talking points. I'm just saying, like, if, if only you existed at this company or only I existed at this company, we'd still be successful in what we do. Right. Right. The fact that you and I have those similar things and yet a different approach makes us more successful. But if you come in with whatever your experience is, whatever your, um, you know, what got you there, what, what made you an SE, what made you a, a director, what made you a, you know, whatever it happens to be, um, and you're a Jerry Seinfeld or you're a Robin Williams or you're a, um, you know, Bill Hicks or whatever the, whatever it is that gets you up on stage and, and your, how, you, how you've developed your personality, um, whatever it is can be made to work. Now, you know, I, I think that's the important part, right? Um, and I will say that neither one of us do no work. Like it's not no work for either one of us to do what we do. No. It is exceptionally <laughs> different work. Right. How we go about doing that is exceptionally different, right? Right. Um, uh, there was so a talk term... about prep. That that that's a good that's a good talk talking track. So talk about prep. What does your prep look like? <laughs> my prep is as wild and varied as my presentation <laughs> style. Right. My prep isn't just one thing. My prep is um, every like if I've got a talk that I'm going to do, I'll spend. Let's say I know. Um, uh, the conference season is coming up and the big conversation point at the conference is going to be COVID, mm -hmm. right? I'm going to read um, articles on the history of depression and recession. I'm going to read articles published by economists on the macro and micro effects of economic downturn for business and individuals. Uh, I'm going to read books on leading through crisis. I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like I'm going to do, and, and all of that I look to, to create those stories, all of that I look to for the research that builds the thing I'm going to talk about. And then I'm also going to double click on um, not just our products, but all of, as many of the competitors to our products as I can to figure out what the industry has to say about a thing. Mm. Um, I, I over-prepare that way, so that way when a customer does ask a question or when an audience member asks a question, I'm pulling on, a, on this like deep wealth of knowledge that I'm using to create the talking points anyhow. And it may be, I am absolutely affected by what I read on Reddit or what I read on CNN or what I read on, you know, whatever news organization I happen to read for that morning or the newspaper that's in the lobby or what's on the radio in the Uber on the way in. Um, like I'm absolutely, I may change things drastically. If, if it's after lunch, I may change based on three talks I've been to that day or the conversation I had with some person I just met over, over lunch, right? That sounded interesting. I may interject things from that. Um, mm. So it's, it's, I enjoy it. So I don't look at it as holy crap, that's a lot of stuff, but holy crap, that's a lot of stuff. Like you can't do what you or I do without an, just an immense amount of prep. Mm -hmm. right? And the question is, like, what, what does that look like to you would be my advice to, to, to our viewer, right? What, 
which is more comfortable for you to really hone in a message, to really develop, really polish a message and then, and then develop that script and just, just really work and hone that script knowing that, and I've seen you do it a dozen times, right? Something will come up and you'll, you'll, next thing I know that's incorporated right into your talk, but I know you've spent five hours getting that incorporated into your talk, right. not two and a half minutes. Right. Or do you, do you like, do you just do a wild and varied bunch of stuff and paddle like a maniac to try to keep up? I like, absolutely not. In fact, everything you just described is things I don't do. Right. So, so <laughs> I don't do an endless amount of research. Like you, you describe reading upon reading upon reading upon repeating opinion, opinion, opinion. I, I really don't do that. Uh, I get a, um, I'm going to say a mid-level knowledge base on the topic that I think is interesting but I'll get that with four or five different topics that, that may or may not actually connect. Um, and then I spend all of my time making the connections, right? To say, how do I connect um, DNA storage with quantum computing? How do I connect how a CIO thinks with, with the blockchain? How do I connect topic A to topic B to topic C and really hone a point of view, a perspective, especially if it's unique. And what I'll do is I'll spend the five hours actually writing down, articulating that perspective, that point of view, really fighting against it, right? To say, if somebody was gonna argue the opposite side, what would they argue? And then having an answer for that argument, really double clicking on that opinion. And I might even blog on that to say, unique opinion X is this, and here's 300 angles to that good, bad, and or indifferent, and master of that particular angle. And then I incorporate that angle into top tracks, right? I incorporate it into a, the bigger story, right? Into the bigger narrative, uh, wherever that makes sense. That, that's where I might spend my time, in the, in, the, in the interaction, in the point of view, in the, in the connecting the dots. That's where all of my time goes. So it's, it's interesting, because you and I do the same thing, and I think it's what makes us, ultimately makes us valuable. Mm. Um, and, and we should probably at least at least acknowledge it because I don't know how to explain it, but you and I have have exactly the same talent to do the same thing that is critical for for what we do and makes us successful. And that is, we can see the connections in things, yep. and we can do an ELI five. We can explain that connection like someone's like the audience member is five. We right. don't. Nobody walks away from our thing going, that sounded like it could have been great, but I didn't understand anything the person said. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Neither one of us do any of that at all, right? We, we've become really good at taking complex things, showing how they connect and how they matter to the things that somebody cares about, and then right. breaking them down into small, easy to understand components. So people walk away and they go, I've never heard anybody explain data science that way. I actually understand it now. I've never heard anyone explain digital transformation that way. I actually understand it now. Yep. Right. And, and we are both really good at that. And, and DX is actually a perfect example because you and I don't explain it the same way. And yet we get to the same destination and we start with the same definition. That's right. And people walk right. away with an understanding that is uh, unique, explicit, but something they will remember. Something right. so obvious. Now is they just turn the light on to say, oh, this makes much more sense than anything else I've ever read before. And I would say like, that's the advice that I would give to anyone. Like if you're, if you're watching this and you're like, this is really interesting. How do I improve my presentation style? How do I improve 
the quality of my presentation. And I'll give you very precise tips here near the end. Um, but it is search for the connections in the material that you're talking about. And that can be connections from slide one to slide seven, right, within the material itself, or it can be the connecting your audience to the material, which is, I would argue, better. Um, and then explain those connections, explain the nuances of the entire thing as though the audience is five. Don't be insulting. Mm -hmm. Just explain it as though they're coming to it for the first time. Explain right. it as though they don't have the hidden industry knowledge. Explain it as though acronyms are illegal. Right. Right? Um, and your presentation will go from zero to 50, even if by the end of it you go, I didn't talk about anything. Because believe it or not, that means you understand what you're talking about. And if you had forgotten that not everyone has the same understanding that you did, you would have lost half the audience. Right. Uh, absolutely. Uh, make the connections, understand the audience, draw the story, even if the story is, is multifold, draw the story um, and, and energy, energy, energy. Like if you're, if you're not exhausted at the end of an hour, you didn't do it right. Uh, you, you, didn't, you didn't project enough energy. You didn't give enough energy to them. You weren't enthusiastic enough about the topic for, that, for, for you to have walked away without you know, having to have another drink or two, having to they, add the electrolytes. be more than one-tenth as enthusiastic as you are. Right. Right. And there's, there's a thousand of them. So, and it doesn't matter how big the room is. If, if it's you on stage, which a stage is anything where you've got a screen behind you or you're standing elevated. If you're standing right. and everyone else is sitting, that's a stage. Right. If your energy level isn't 10 times what you want their energy level to be, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. Right. You are required to bring all of the energy. Right. Unless it's you, a eulogy, right? Like we're still talking about corporate presentations. Here. But, but, but I would say even then, right? The energy you bring is still the energy that's carried in the room. True. So do you want to, do you want everyone to be passionate about the things that you say? You better bring 10 times the passion you want them to have. Right. Like, let's be honest, if we're doing a eulogy, the point isn't to point out the exits, the bathroom and, and that we'll have snacks after. <laughs> right. The point is to make the audience feel about that person the way you felt about that person. Right. Right. That, that they suddenly get the understanding of the value of that person's place in the world, in which case you got to be 10 times as passionate about it as they are. You may not bounce off the walls with excitement. I mean, the person's dead, but you still, you're going to put gravitas into your speech. You're going to take a lot more pauses, right? You may have a tear or two, like, you still have to bring that emotion. You still have to bring that passion. Right. It's just not necessarily, you know, oh, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Maybe not as many jokes. Put some jokes in, but not as many. Not a whole comedy routine. No, no, uh, no. And maybe make the joke stories about the person. Like, yeah. it, Does the media matter? Like, are you distinctly different, let's say, on an audio pod versus a video webinar versus in written form versus on stage? Uh, versus lights on you or lights off you? Does any of that make a difference to your, your ultimate process? Uh, no, not, no. not, I mean, you'd be a better judge of that than I would, but I would say not really. Like I tend to write very similarly to how I speak, which is why I don't like the way I write. I don't think it should be done that way. I think the written word has a different level of gravitas. Um, plus I, I rely on, on timber tone pace and passion in spoken word 
to mm -hmm. grab the audience, right? Um, so it's why I don't like my written as much. So I, I much prefer your writing to my writing. Um, I definitely write differently than I speak, 100%, um, because I don't, it, it's much more difficult to express enthusiasm. <laughs> and uh, the written story could be easily followed as compared to a conversation. So like I, I definitely sort of write significantly different, uh, but I do find audio different than video. If I'm not on video, um, I'm, uh, it's easier for me to, to be a little bit more spontaneous. In audio form, I could have something written down if I had to and use those notes to speak versus if I'm on video in a media interview, I have to have those 20 points in my head already and be prepared to launch them when the question comes. Right? I, can't, I'm not, I can't look to the left and say, okay, I, here's the series of things that I want to be able to say to you versus audio only, I have that capability. And therefore I could have 50 things ready instead of 20 things that I have to you know, have you know, at my disposal at any one period of time. So I was gonna tell you what I do different, but there's actually a story, uh, if okay. you don't mind the story. Bring so, up the story. Um, so there is a, for all of the leaders, there is a test to determine whether someone should be a leader or not. All right. There is an absolute test in IT. Um, it's not designed for that, it's not, that's not its purpose, but it is something worth paying attention to. Um, there was a study done by some psychiatrists, psychologists a decade or more ago, um, where they were trying to figure out, are people any good at telling time? Hmm. So if I take out all, all external, external measures of time, right? Take away your watch, take away clocks, take away your phone, all that sort of stuff. I give you a task and then I tell you, just do that task for a set amount of time. And when that when you think that time is up, stop the task. Something interesting happened. And what was interesting was there was a certain group of people that was so much more proud of themselves for being exactly on time and yet had nothing near the time. So I, I, I want to say that they said, do this task for 30 minutes. Right. When you think 30 minutes has passed, stop. And right. most people were able to go between like 22 and 35 minutes right, for the most part. And when Relative they stopped, they were like, I think this is about... 30 minutes. Does this seem like it's about 30 minutes? And they were close enough that that that, that was considered kind of the baseline. Um, but there was this other group of people that focused on the task and went an hour. But it wasn't just that they went an hour. It was that when they were done, they kind of crossed their arms and went, that was like 30 minutes and 30 seconds, wasn't it? Like I'm plus or minus 25 seconds here. Right. But I am, we're not even in the ballpark. I'm more accurate than the atomic clock. Like the arrogance on their ability to tell time was paired with their inability to tell time. Right. Um, and this caused, and it was almost always far over, right? Um, and, and this caused a really kind of interesting thing. Why would one group of people have the exact same response and it be so alien from everyone else's response? It wasn't like one or two people. It wasn't like 1%. It right. was a significant, statistically significant number of people. And so that caused them to then kind of double click and go, let's research why this happens. Right. Why are they unique? Right. And what they found was there is a personality type that has the ability to drop into a fugue state extremely easily. Mm. And it's effectively, it's a state of hyper-focus. The outside world completely turns off to those people. They're just hyper-focused on their task. Mm. And they do that task for however long they're going to do that task. And then it's very much like surfacing a submarine. 
they kind of plop into reality and go, okay, I've now completed this portion of the task. I'm now back in reality. But they can instantly drop right back into a fugue state. Um, And what they actually nicknamed it was engineer time because they found almost all of those people were engineers. They had an engineer mindset. Um, And so the reason I said they shouldn't be management leadership is because if you can find people that actually can do engineer time, they should be exceptionally well-paid, well-trained engineers for as long as you can. There's incredible value in being an individual contributor. Allow them to be an individual contributor. Right. But that's actually me. So when you talk about these different things, I can't take a note and listen at the same time. Hmm. I like the reason it's all the same for me is because I'm 100% focused on that thing. And it just like, it's a stream in, it's a stream out. It's a stream in, it's a stream out. I don't mind being interrupted because this is the thing that I'm doing. But if somebody tries to come in the room and talk to me, even if you're talking, I won't be able to hear you at all. Couldn't hear it, couldn't understand it, couldn't follow it. I'd have to reconnect. Like I'd have to, <laughs> right. you know, um, I'm, 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 you know, a modem effectively, right? I have to disconnect one phone call and, and connect another phone call. I don't do party lines. <laughs> um, but but I, I also kind of want to leave everyone because we're, we're, we're running a little bit long here. So I want to leave yeah. everyone with some advice. And that is, if you want to be a public speaker, develop a voice. It's probably the most effective thing that you can do. You can take someone else's presentation. You can take someone else's script. You can take someone else's presenter notes. But if you don't have a voice, you won't capture the audience the way a a real presenter will. And so I'm going to ask you to do two things and two things only to start developing that voice. The first thing is find poetry you like that sounds good when read out loud and learn to read it so it sounds good to other people. If you don't know a poem or poet to start with, I recommend The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe because it's gorgeous and everybody knows it. And the Simpsons version is amazing. Say that again? The Simpsons version? It's great. Oh God, I forgot the Simpsons did the, did the Raven. Did it. Now you're going to see, see, this is how easy I am to get distracted. Now gonna... <laughs> right. So that was number one. So that was number one. Number two is the bard. Shakespeare is not famous because he created stories. None of Shakespeare's stories were actually created by Shakespeare. He took stories that had been around for a long time and wrote them down. Mm-hmm. What's important about Shakespeare is the way he wrote them down. He wrote them down in what's called iambic pentameter. And iambic pentameter is a very, very specific method of writing in the same way that, that their other po- poetic systems are written. But what's unique about iambic pentameter is it's designed to be orated, designed mm-hmm. to be spoken out loud. The pauses are built into the lines. Right. So pick a play that you like, pick a soliloquy that you like, and read it. And at the end of every line, take a slight pause. At the end of every piece of punctuation, add a slight pause. And if it's a question mark, turn your voice up. If it's a period, turn your voice down. Mm-hmm. End of the statement. Just do that. If you can just do that, don't memorize it. Read them out loud. Just read them right right from the book. If you can do those two things, you'll start to develop a voice and that voice will help. It will absolutely transform your ability to present. Any advice that you would give? Um, I'm still, I would still give the advice on having your point of view or perspective honed. I'm not saying write it out. I'm not even saying have the story ready, but have a point of view on a topic you think will come up, have a perspective. And 
the more unique, the better. The more interesting that it has, the more you can tie it against something else, the more you can tie it to what you do every day, the more you can apply it, the better. But have that point of view. Don't just tell me a fact that's not interesting at all. Uh, and then enthusiasm, enthusiasm, enthusiasm. People will feed off you and therefore you have to project what, what you want people to feed. So it's, what, what I like about that is a perspective requires a story. Right. You can't just have a perspective, right? right. I think the Packers there's suck. A re- that's right. There's right. a reason why this perspective is true. Tell me that right. reason. And that story is really interesting. I, I, I'm not a big sports guy. Um, and I actually use the perspective to cheat on not being a sports guy. Because it's awkward sometimes. You're in a social situation. You're with a bunch of other guys. It's not business related. And they start talking about sports. And you're like, I'm not a sports guy. What do I do? Um, right. so exactly what you just said. I developed a perspective on aspects of the sport that allowed me to participate in the conversation. Right. I still may not follow all of it, but at least I had a perspective. And so now I was part of the group. Right. And boy, does that make a huge difference on just about anything. Don't make it, don't, it's a perspective. You should have, have pride in it. So do a little bit of homework. Right. Right. But, but I would say that's absolutely phenomenal advice and, and probably really good advice in general. Have a perspective on things. And it's okay to be debatable. Your job isn't to be firm in that perspective. <laughs> Your job is to have one. Then right. allow the debate to occur. The debate is the interesting part. Yes. Yeah. And the debate may be, the, the debate is not only interesting, but it also reduces the amount of work that you actually have to do. <laughs> right. 30 exactly. minutes in the room, and you can get a debate going for 15 of those 30 minutes. You only have to talk for 15. So you're only responsible for 15 minutes of the, of the, of the yeah. conversation, 15 minutes of the content. The, like, o- the only thing I'd suggest, though, is don't have a superficial perspective. Really no. dig it, like really have something to back it up so that when you're debating, you actually can project an air of confidence instead of just, you know, flipping a coin. Flipping a coin does not help in that situation. No, you, you really need what's known as the confidence that comes from knowing. Right. I am confident because I know a thing. Right. If you are superficial, you come across as, as disingenuous and yeah. nothing, nothing will turn an audience away from you faster. Right. So, well, on, on that cut. note, everyone, uh, I think this was a great conversation. We went a little long, so, so we'll see if this turns into one or two podcasts. We'll, uh, we'll have to let Carlos take a look at it. This is what happens when we don't have our moderator. <laughs> <laughs> but we hope you enjoyed it and, uh, and we will talk again next week. Thanks, Paul. Thank you.